Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast about that time of life that tends to take us all by surprise. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Let's get right into it. So Alice, we met in a podcasting group and we just clicked straight away and it's a really good chat. Just tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yes, it's been so nice to have met you, and this is so fun because it's the second time we're we're speaking in the span of a week. So I I do feel like we're getting to know each other a bit. So I'm Dr. Alice Kirby. I'm a uh, I have a clinical doctorate in physical therapy or physiotherapy for those in the UK and Australia, and I'm also a I'm a health consultant. I'm a she recovers coach as well as a resiliency coach, and I work frequently with um, chronic stress and trauma. I've spent the last two years, and I have one more year to go studying with the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, really taking a deep dive in understanding how trauma and how chronic stress affects our autonomic nervous system and our physiology. So really how trauma patterns and prolonged chronic stress is stored in the body and what we can do to start moving through that. Uh, I work frequently with sober women. That's where my She Recovers coaching designation comes in. So I, um, yeah, I utilize a lot of the, the somatic experiencing tools in this community of, of sober women and, and women wanting to move away from other maladaptive behaviors, because I really think what I, and what I found for myself is that there is this huge link between being disembodied or being um, disconnected from ourselves that, that sort of primes the pump for addiction or for maladaptive behaviors. Because if we're constantly not feeling great and not knowing how to feel great, like, or really to how to even be in our own bodies, it's so much easier than to just reach for you know, a substance. In my case, it was alcohol. And I used it for years to really try to mitigate stress and anxiety, especially as I was going through my doctorate program. It was uh, horrible. I wasn't sleeping. And I hear these same things from some of the women that I work with. So by coming back into the body and really working with the nervous system and the physiology to heal some of the unresolved trauma and, and to, you know, practice a new way of embodiment and of sort of not just mindfulness, but bodyfulness and really being aware of what's happening in our body. It gives us a new lease on, on our lives. I think it really connects us to our essential selves and how we present that self to the world within the, the choices that we make. So two things. One, can you explain what somatic experience is? And the second one, and this comes out of the conversation that we had the other week, which was actually the third conversation. I think we spoke three times in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks now, haven't we? But that trauma isn't necessarily a big event. It's not like something terrible that happened. Trauma can be like in my school reports every year, I always got Karen could do better. Karen could try harder. Karen never achieves a potential. That becomes a trauma that you hold in your body as well. So it's not just like a major event, is it? It's something that can, a trauma can be built up over time. Definitely. Yes? Yeah, definitely. And especially when we look at um, like early childhood development and I'm not a, a mental health practitioner. So my knowledge of this is, is uh, I'm, there are people that are, could speak on this far more eloquently than I but there, I know when we go through things as children that are similar in nature, like what you just described, that definitely can be stored as like a trauma memory. And it can lead us to making decisions that are based on that memory versus based on like who Karen actually is as a person. If you're making decisions based on this sort of stored information that got wired in of, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough or I don't apply myself 
or I could do better, you know, just think about the difference in the choices that you're making in life versus you being in your full, like essential life force thriving self. Uh, they're going to be vastly different. So trauma can be a big event, or it can also be these small incremental events. It can also be our perception of an event, as particularly as children. And it's really how our body ho- like grabs onto and holds. Like we can walk by, one of my favorite examples is we can walk by a dog and it could be a small dog, a little poodle. But let's, let's say we're a young kid and every day when we walk by this dog, it runs to the fence and it's rawr, rawr, rawr. And like we get really scared of it. Maybe it gets close to biting us one day. So then we develop an irrational fear of dogs. And we may not even remember this, but it can be stored in our body. So now every time we see a poodle, we cross the street. So we start narrowing uh, our experiences to avoid the thing that reminded us of the trauma, and that can be subconscious. And it can be something as simple as that, as a poodle barking at us. But as as a child, or it doesn't have to happen as children, but it can. Um, frequently it does. But then it's just wrapped into us. And so when we're able to to work with some of those the patterns that are stored in our physiology and unwind them, it really does open us up to experience more of life, which is you know pretty great. So, and the somatic, what's a somatic, uh, what was it, experience? Sure. So it's called somatic experiencing. um, And it's a, it's a particular type of trauma work. Somatic means of the body. So there are certainly, um, like you'll hear somatic used in in many other, you know, terms or, or um, places around, because it just means of the body. But somatic experiencing is a particular methodology to work with trauma in this way. And it was developed by Dr. Peter Levine. He's a pretty big name in the trauma industry. He's written quite a few books and um, yeah, he's pretty well known. You could Google him if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more about his work, but he developed this system of somatic experiencing and it works with trauma in the way that I'm describing where the, the imprint of the trauma is stored in the body And so that we don't necessarily have to go back to the conscious memory, we can work with that imprint that's in the body and begin to to unwind it and to bring the nervous system back to a place of like full, I was going to say full expression. I don't know if that's the most appropriate way to say that, but I think it does get the point across. Um, It allows us again to come back into our body and occupy it fully versus reliving out these patterns that get stored or stuck in the physiology. It's interesting you're saying that because I know a few people that have been on this program and it's quite obviously exactly what you're talking about. They call it structural connections because it's your body's structural language um, where we hold all the trauma and beliefs and all our opinions and everything. And the change in people when they come out of doing that program is enormous. They walk differently. They look completely different. It's, it's incredible. And, and, you know, I heard one lady say she'd always, her mother had always told her off because her posture was like this. And I'm like, really? Because she's very relaxed and upright, but she mm-hmm. got that out of this program. She'd just kind of done this whole life. So it's really fascinating And again, she didn't have anything major happen to us. It was just, you know, those little buildups of belief that um, changed her over time. Definitely. And when when we're also operating on this like high level of chronic stress over a long period of time, when we're just up above where our system can equate it being like a a normal threshold, like when we're out of our threshold for 
months and months and years and years, that also creates an imprint on our system. And we're, it becomes very difficult for us to like unwind or settle or relax. And then again, then it's like, we're always on this high alert. And so going through life in this place of high alert, high reactivity, it just hinders our ability to make good choices or to show up and be present because we're always like thinking about what's the next thing that we have to do. What's the next potential threat that might come my way. What's the next problem that I need to solve. So when we're able to like restore the system to a more full capacity where we can kind of ebb and flow and let ourselves, you know, go up when we need to, but also then settle back down and come back into a more of a relaxed place, the way that we see with animals in the wild biologically, then it just, it creates more fluidity within the system, which it sounds like the, the work that you're describing does something similar, at least did for the, the woman that you mentioned. So what do you do to help release that trauma? How is it released? And how do you identify it? That's another great question. How do you identify it? Sure. I mean, I think in part, that's why the program's three years long, the training that I'm in, because it's, it's like, it's subtle and it's different because everyone's systems are different. So, I mean, for me, a big part of it, I did this work with with my own therapist for the first, like when I first uh, got sober, I was so lucky that I found her and she happened to be a somatic experiencing practitioner because right away we started working with my body and, uh, and just with feeling and, and working with all these things. So I had, I went into the training with like a year of experience with me doing it on my own, which I think is really helpful. But I mean, you look for patterns in the physiology, you look at how are people moving, how are they sitting, um, what's happening in the system when people begin to talk about a certain thing. Like a lot of my work, honestly, is I, I will preface my sessions and my, my regular clients know this, so I don't tell them, but for anyone new, I say like, okay, you know, at, at some point in this session, I'm probably going to interrupt you. And I just want you to know this isn't because I'm not interested in what you have to say, but it's because I want to pause and bring your attention to what's happening in your body. And so a lot of it is when we are like getting engaged or we're, we're talking and we're so you know, in the story and we want to tell the story, but it's like, wait a second, like what's happening in your body? Let's pause and start looking for sensations. And um, with somatic experiencing, you work a lot with sensations and what's happening on that, on the sensory level within the system. And so it's not necessarily even describing emotions, it's describing sensations. So you really are able to drop below the level of the, the neocortex or the very actively thinking brain and come into this more base like survival language level and work with that aspect of it. And in doing so, the really neat thing is most of the time when you just curiously observe, things start to shift on their own. And then part of the skill um, the skill in being a practitioner is being able to, to track that in a person and track that in whoever you're working with and to teach them how to begin to track it in their, in their selves. So how does this work tie in with the work that you do with um, addiction recovery? And how did you get started in the addiction recovery? Sure. Um, um, yeah. So I got started because I went through it. Um, and so when I... When I was going through PT school and I was getting my doctorate, that's really when things kind of came to a head for me. I was like using alcohol, like I mentioned in the beginning, to really try to self-medicate, to calm my anxiety. I wasn't sleeping. I was massively stressed. Um, And it just became really clear that I was not drinking in a healthy way. So I continued to drink for a few more years. I got through school. I got through my board exams and all that. But 
finally stuff just came to a head and I realized, okay, this isn't, alcohol is not serving me at all. So I went through my own process with getting sober, getting into recovery, working with my wonderful therapist. And I started realizing pretty early on from doing this somatic experiencing work, how much of a benefit that was to me in early recovery and how much of a benefit it was to not just try to work with taking away the substance, but also to work with coming into my body and beginning to like to heal some of the, um, the past trauma patterns. And I didn't have really big events. I'd had a couple car accidents and things like that, but I didn't have a, a big, strong trauma history myself. Um, but just in doing this work and starting to come back into my body and to starting to like know when I was feeling good and having this restored sense of self, I feel like that really skyrocketed my own recovery where I didn't want to drink again because I, I was like, I was getting myself back and I was coming back into myself and I was learning tools and skills to be able to really actively work with everything I was feeling. And so I just realized how important and how vital that was in early recovery. So I really wanted to bring this type of work that I'm subsequently went and got trained for into the recovery world. Cause I see the value and I feel like it's, it's, it's not missing because there are other people who do this in the recovery world, but I, I don't think it's a critical component. And I think it's really vitally important and really helpful. So how did it manifest in you when you began to notice what you did with your body? When Was it when you wanted to drink or when you felt you needed to drink or when you were drinking? Were there, what physical differences did you feel in yourself? For me, what I remember most profoundly in those really early days is um, more noticing when I felt good and when I felt like myself. And it was because I was able to build that part of me like up and experience that more and more. I didn't want to drink because I knew that would take it away. And so I still had cravings occasionally. I think when I quit too, I was really ready to quit. I had like, it was time, you know, it really was. I'd been through a lot of shit. And so that was another thing for me. I think it was just really clear that that was enough. But this, the ability to actually feel good in my body was so incredible. And so, um, and it sounds so simple. I understand it sounds incredibly simple, but really just to have those moments. I live here in this, you know, beautiful place on these cliffs by the ocean. And I would take my walks in the morning and I'd, you know, be sad. I'd, my life was in ruins in a lot of ways. Um, I lost a relationship. I was trying to find a new place to live. I was hanging on to my job by a thread. Um, but I would have little moments of, of experiencing like being in my body and of being present and maybe just, you know, feeling the breeze on my skin or the sunlight and looking at the ocean and, and being like, wow, like I'm here, I'm showing up. And for me, that was, um, that was really perfect. It still is. Even I take a minute to get in my body now and I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> this is so great. You know, cause we don't, we don't really put attention on that. And it's so important. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? I was talking to a lady and she'll be it's been fascinating the last few weeks because I've connected with about five people who all work in trauma, in different aspects mm. of trauma. So I've got this whole little series going, it's just great how the universe works. And I was talking to one lady yesterday who was diagnosed with ADHD when she was 47 or a month short of a 47th birthday. And she'd also spent her entire life numbing herself with alcohol and cannabis as well. She said, I know they say you can't get addicted to weed. She said, but I was addicted to weed. Yeah. <laughs> and 
she got reached the same kind of point as you where she just went I she said I, I didn't like being in my own body I didn't like being in my personality in who I was who I wasn't in how I didn't fit in I didn't like owning up to all of the stuff that I'd done that I knew was wrong and was like completely out of integrity, but was done because I hated myself. And so she just kept numbing and numbing and numbing with alcohol. And she said what got the the turning point for her, which I find really quite like, wow, because she, she does have ADHD. She can't sit still for five seconds. She discovered yoga. And it was the getting present and breathing in yoga, she said, my mind doesn't stop. It still goes off all the time, but I, I've learned to be okay with that. That's just what my mind does. And for her, it was about being okay. And you're saying a very similar thing, you know, just being in your body and being, well, that's that's me, that's who I am, and it's actually okay. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Is that similar to that? I think it's very similar. Yes. I think, um, yes, being, having the ability to actually just be present with whatever's happening in the given moment and to show up actually inside your body. Yes. So it's most alcohol and drug abuse. It's, it's an escape thing, is it? Cause I don't know nothing about it. That's why I'm asking. Sure. I mean, I'm not an expert in addiction. I think so. I think usually there, I was actually looking at some quotes from, um, gosh, who was that guy? Oh, he's a big addiction guy. I want to say Don Quixote, and that is absolutely not it. <laughs> and it's not Vessel Vandalcork. It's the other guy. Anyway, I was looking at one of his quotes. His name is just escaping me right now. And it says, like, there is no addiction without pain. Uh, and I think that's true. I think there is usually, if there's not, you know, a big, huge trauma, and oftentimes there is, and oftentimes there's subsequential, some kind of childhood abuse or neglect or things like that, you know, unfortunately, and, and we are never taught these things. We're never taught how to deal with or manage those. You know, I think if we're lucky, we're taught how to sort of escape by them with a, a job and maybe some, you know, half-hearted relationships intact, but we're not really ever taught how to become wholly ourselves and work through those things. So I think, yeah, I think there is an escape component. I think it's wanting to get away from pain, suffering. I think sometimes it starts as, we, we want to feel either more engaged. I think for those that are really shy, I was also really a shy kid. So I think when I started drinking back in high school, it was great because it really opened me up and that was so fun. And I was more, you know, gregarious and clearly now I don't really have a problem with that, which is, <laughs> which is another byproduct of being present in my body as I can, you know, really chat the ear off of anyone. But yes, I do think there's some kind of like suffering or, or something that you're trying to heal that you don't know how to heal inside because we're never taught. So tell me what it's, tell me, explain to me what you mean by and what it's like to be present in your body. Oh, that's a neat question. What is it like? Um, and the reason I'm asking that is because, you know, one of the traumatic experiences for a lot of women is going through menopause or for men hitting that live midlife crisis. It is a traumatic experience in a lot of ways. Everything changes and we can't, um, we've got no control half the time over how we're feeling or how we're reacting or anything like that. And then we go off and do like, you know, we try and deny it or overreact or apologize or do whatever, you know, there's, there's instances where it is out of our control. And 
I've completely, I've gone menopause brain. I've completely forgotten where I was going to go. And so, and so just, I'm, I'm just wondering how being present in your body and being okay with that, you know, if you can describe it and go, okay, this is what I do to do it. And this is not where I was going to go with that question, but I'm going to wing it anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's you a know, great what, question. What does it mean to get present? Because I, I suppose where I'm going with it is, you know, if you're having one of those moments where you know that you're not behaving or not feeling how you want to feel, how what can you do to kind of break that circuit and break that pattern? I suppose that's where I'm going with it. Sure, sure. Long-winded um, apologies. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I'm, very, I'm quite long-winded myself, as I'm sure you and your listeners have noticed. Uh, one of the first like things that I teach in my courses or I'll teach with individual people that I'm working on and that I absolutely do myself is to start trying to identify areas of resource. And so if there is a place in your body, and you can do this with me right now, Karen, and anyone listening while we're talking about it, just notice if there's any place that feels more like you, that feels good, that feels comforting or alive in some way that that you're able to just bring your attention to and and it's just it feels sort of settling or like home um mm. and it's so in my throat me, for me it's down here interesting yeah yeah and so for me it's my pelvis I don't know why like it just always I feel very settled in my pelvic region um and so you can just hang out with that that area so for you your throat and just notice what sort of sensations are in there right now It's not about trying to make anything happen. It's really just being present with what is. And so sort of notice that any of the qualities that make up that, that sense of feeling like you is, you know, is it warm? Is it moving? Does it feel fluid or does it feel sturdy like a pillar or silken? Just some examples of sensation words. Squishy. Squishy and warm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so just noticing that. And so being able to have these, these built in resources in, in our bodies, and we can certainly have more than one. And sometimes it might be a little different, but typically we have areas that we can call on or we can go to. And so that way, when we are in a place where maybe our minds are racing or we were, you know, like acting out or, and we know that's really not quite how we want to be. And we know maybe we're not in our body. It's a really nice opportunity to just pause. I'm also huge on just take a pause um, pause for a minute, like observe your breath and then find that resource place and just notice like amidst the chaos or whatever else is happening. I also have this present. It's not about trying to pretend the chaos or any of, you know, the other isn't there. It is there, but also I have this resource. I have this nice, like sort of grounded feeling for me again, like in my pelvis, it feels solid. I feel solid here. So it's kind of like that saying, nothing's changed, but everything is different. You're in the same mm-hmm. events that are happening, but it's different because you can take yourself out of the um, stress or whatever and just go to this other yeah. place. Yeah, you can, have, you can access this other experience of yourself in the midst of the chaotic experience. And I think being able to take the time to do that is, is really important and one other thing I'll say on that, I read this recently in this book, The Humanual, which is awesome. Um, she says the, gosh, what is it? The, like the power is in the, the, the moment between the stimulus and the response. And that's where we have choice available to us. So it's like when the thing happens, you know, someone, I don't know, or whatever, something happens, someone spills a coffee on us, let's say. We have, a, if we can take that minute, that moment, 
and, and recognize what's happening. Like we're probably tensing up. We're trying to get away from the coffee. Maybe we're opening our mouths to like yell at the person or call them an idiot. Um, we can sort of recognize what's happening and make a choice. And so we can choose to still yell at them, but it's not, it, we, it's not just that knee jerk reaction. So I really like that as well. And I like the way she phrases it. So when people come to work with you, because obviously, so you do a lot of stuff online now, do you? Not just in person. Right. I'm primarily online now. Um, I do, uh, I have like one-to-one clients and then I also do group courses and uh, group coaching and courses for people that want more of a foundational experience with the work. So what do you, what, what is the work that you actually do? You work with individual people on the, you know, to release their stuff. You do groups to, to what? Explain to me what it is you do. Sure. So with the one-to-one work, it's basically, it is really individualized. Um, so it just depends whatever. I like to work with people over a period of three months with a once, once a week session, if we can. And sometimes, you know, we'll skip a week or things like that. But the goal is three months, once a week for an hour. And then we're really able to work with the individual's particular patterns that are in there. Um, and it's, I've worked with people around relationship type things where things have really changed. Uh, I had one client who she, she was like, was in sort of a a chronic like flight response with her relationship where if any little thing happened, she was just ready to flee and she didn't like the communication. And after our work together, that was one of the biggest things that she noticed was like, oh, I'm able to communicate with my partner now. I don't feel this need to run every time something comes up. I feel really like I'm able to be here and stay. And that was one of her biggest takeaways. So the one-to-one work really is individual. It's you know, I work with sober women. I work with women around anxiety. I work with women too, who are just, I have a few clients right now that are, that are just starting into a new phase of their lives, either like wanting to do a new business or they're moving out of their children are getting a little bit older. So their caretaking role is different. And that's really fun work too, because it's a lot of, okay, you know, some of this stuff that maybe is holding you back, but then also what's opening up for you and how can we grow more of that through this experience of you being in in your body and you being present more while we, you know, sort of work with some of that past trauma or stress patterns that are, that have in the past kept you from being able to move forward. So the one-on-one work is really individual, but those are some examples of it. And then I have a few group programs. Um, I'm doing one right now. We're in week two. It's called Sober, Calm, and Wild. And it's a really fun four-week course. I know. I love it. It's my first time doing this one. Totally you. Like, yeah, that's just your It's so fun, right? Yeah. I did this backpacking trip a few months ago, and I was out in the woods for a week by myself, and it was so great. But I was, like, thinking about this concept of the inner wild and this, like, part of us, especially as women that we just, we want to run like through the forest in a loincloth and feel our feet on the ground and, and have our expression and like come into the world with healthy aggression and authority and like be in our, our power. And I feel like we need more of that. So I wanted to pair that with some of these techniques to work with chronic stress and to calm the system, but also to come into agency and to like come into having good boundaries and to come into being able to say no if we need to and to not just be chronic people pleasers. So I think I'll eventually turn that into a six-week course because it's kind of a lot in four weeks. Um, but it's great. It's really fun. We do, there's course content each week and then we meet weekly for a group coaching call. And then I do one-to-one calls with everyone in the program as they come in so we can see what they're specifically working on. And, um, yeah, it's fun. I do a lot of movement too in my courses and just with people and it's really good to move. That's another great pattern interrupter too. 
What kind of movement do you do? All kinds, any kind. Um, I personally love Qigong. I teach a lot of Qigong. That's one of my favorites. But really, I like to encourage people to, and there's a few different techniques and kind of some guided practices I'll do with this, but to to try and move um, slowly and like move from the inside out. So instead of doing prescribed movement that we've learned, like a yoga pose or even a Qigong posture, like really to just explore your body from the inside out with movement. And that's pretty fun. It's interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating because I used to do synchronized swimming and synchronized swimming is all about balance and knowing where every single bit of your body is in space at any one yeah. time because you've got no floor, no gravity holding you up, no bar to hold on to. You've just got to be completely centred and make these tiniest adjustments to keep your balance and to keep your body and your your whole body where it's supposed to be. And I always found it so, and I didn't realise this until about five, ten years ago, but I found it so grounding. I'd come out of those sessions just like I was chill. <laughs> you know yes. ready to so take on anything concentration too oh. and all your muscles it's like pilates but harder because you're in the water yeah. that's so cool it's like it's, I mean, it's so neat oh it's amazing um, and also um that you know the breathing's got to come into it as well but i i love pilates for the same reason so i bring that into pilates so it's all about um i actually have a personal trainer but i do everything really slowly so that i'm constantly in balance and i'm making sure nothing's got any strain on it and mm-hmm. you know it's and and that uh that distinction that the you know the awareness of that makes such a difference for me when i'm doing any exercise to just like be totally present and make sure everything's switched on and everything's firing the way it's supposed to be yeah it's um meditative very calming very calming it is it is i started doing pilates a few times a week recently with um a lady via zoom, but it's live classes and I love it. And I'm like, this is just enhancing my life. And I think that's part of it is just the fact that I'm so present when I'm, when I'm there and I love, yeah, having awareness of all the little muscles and what's Mm. happening and how to move to take care of myself. It's yeah, it's great. And you feel so strong. Yeah, you do. It's fascinating how, you know, you're doing something and you got to do say 10 reps of something. And the first three, two or three, I'll be all over the place until it clicks which muscles mm-hmm. I have to switch on. It's like, okay, got it. So, and that's what I really enjoy because you, you do have to be totally present and make sure every, the, all the right bits are switched on and the right bits are switched off. I, yeah. yeah, I really enjoy it. So I hadn't thought of that, but Pilates or something for getting grounded, but doing it not like you would go to the gym and do like 10 reps of dumbbell curls mm-hmm. and then 10 bench right. presses, you know, think about what you're doing. Yeah, bringing that awareness into it. And I, I think with movement too, there's just this big misconception that movement has to be exercise or very prescribed or it has to be Pilates or yoga or swimming or a bike ride. But it's like, well, I really encourage people because I work a lot sometimes with people too who aren't very comfortable in their bodies. And it's like, well, have you ever thought about moving just to move for fun? Because your body's biologically designed to move. Like, what's that like if you just explore movement as separate from exercise and that's really fun to play with too it is isn't it I wouldn't it be you know I remember as a teenager I'd put the music on in my bedroom and I'd be booging away and I wouldn't (laughs) do that now but I felt so good just to you know just to move the body and dance and if I'm sitting at the computer for several hours and I'm one of those people I get focused 
and I don't move and my cup of tea's gone cold again and I've already warmed it up twice because, you know, I didn't drink it the first two times either. And then I find myself really stiff. It'd be great to just put on a piece of music and boogie on down Mm -hmm. for a few minutes and then it would change the energy. Definitely. Then you come back to your work more refreshed too. I have to force myself to do things like that because I'm the same way. I'll like put off going um, to take a pee for like 30 minutes. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Get up and go to to the toilet. I'm like, right after I do this next thing. It's so like, I've been really hyper aware of it lately because I'm like, pause, like practice what you preach, like get up and move. Yeah. Put a song on, boogie around. And then you come back and you're like, you're fresh, you have new energy, your brain is working again, you have oxygen, you're all excited. Yeah. yeah. And you've been to the toilet, so you feel better, so your stomach's exactly. absolutely <laughs> bursting to pop. Yeah, exactly. So simple. I wonder if, isn't it interesting, because that is a real female thing, the not going to the toilet thing, isn't it? I don't think guys do it as often as we do. Yeah. It's something I've realized lately. I really will do frequently. I'll just try to wait and put it off. And it's so stupid. So I'm, I'm doing that less now. <laughs> it's one of my personal areas of growth at the moment. <laughs> so just go take a wee when I need to. Aren't we funny? I love us <laughs> so as humans. We're amazing. And, and I think that's actually a key thing. You know, what we've both learned over the years is that it's, it makes life much easier if we just laugh at ourselves rather than making ourselves wrong for doing something you know like not going to the toilet I remember growing up and my mom and I still do it I've got to admit it you you know you drop something and you go oh you idiot I can't believe you just did that but what if we just laughed at it like we just laughed at the fact that we don't go to the toilet when we need to go to the toilet you know yeah yeah it just I wonder how much impact that, because then we're not holding it in the body, we're releasing it as well. So there's like a two-sided thing there. Right. And it takes the shame off of it. Because even those little things, especially when you're a kid, I mean, that's how trauma gets wound in. You drop something, people are like, ah, even if they're not yelling at you, if there's just like a big reaction, if you spill a thing of water, that's, that gets nestled in there. Of like, oh, I did something wrong. I'm bad. There's shame. Then that gets associated with it. So as an adult, you, you know, drop a pen and I have to tell you, this is not related at all, but like yesterday and today, yesterday I dropped my, my partner's uh, toothbrush on the ground and then he wears a mouth guard and today I'm making the bed and I dropped the mouth guard on the ground and I was like, babe, I dropped another uh, thing that goes in your mouth on the ground. <laughs> just, I know, he's so sweet. He's like, did you rinse it? I was like, no, I just wanted to tell you that so you could do whatever you wanted. <laughs> but yeah, I really had no shame over it. I, <laughs> I I kind of felt like maybe I should, but I was like, oh, sorry, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. My youngest daughter is just learning how to drive. And about a month ago, I was, she was in my car, my BMW, right? Wow. She, she's in my car. We pull out onto a roundabout and she stopped. And there was a car coming at us. And I just freaked. I was like, what did you stop? she's terrified of going on roundabouts now action was um it was just that it was a fear it came out of the fact that this car's hurtling towards us and he had to slam the brakes on that kind of stuff you know we have to learn how to release it because it was just an incident that happened that doesn't mean anything in the long run it's a lesson to be learned you know 
think about pulling out if you're going to hesitate do it before you actually pull out onto the roundabout don't pull out onto the roundabout and then hesitate that's for her to learn for me it's I don't know whether I'd actually ever react in a different way if I see a car coming towards me. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a survival response too because your life is quite literally in danger. So, I mean, that's why we have these responses built into our biology is to to save us. We, We have, you know, these, that's like a social engagement response of like yelling, like, hey, this isn't right. Let's get out of here. So I think your body is probably going to react that, that way when there's a car coming at you. Yeah, we should re- react some way. <laughs> probably um, should, yeah. yeah but it's all about the, the releasing of it, isn't it? It's all about the yeah. letting it go and being, well, like you say, that's, that is an instinctive reaction that you, you know, it is a fight or flight thing. It's mm-hmm. necessary it at that moment in time. And a lesson for Keely. It doesn't mean anything. And if we just let it go and go, okay, that was just a lesson. It wasn't a failure. It didn't define my life. It didn't define who I am. It was just a tiny little blip in my life. Yeah. And, and just when we think, have those, um, I'm sorry, like, no, no, when no, we no, have those, those, those things happen, it's really good to like stop, pull over, take five minutes, like let the stress actually leave your body. You'll see with animals in the wild after the deer's running from the tiger, uh, or what have you, they'll, when they get away, they'll do like a little twitching or a little discharge and it just happens naturally, but it's actually allowing some of the, the stress chemicals and that trauma or that chronic stress that can get stored. It allows it to leave. So, you know, taking some time to let that happen, whether it's right after the incident or this is part of what this work does too, is if you work with someone around things like that, then you can kind of revisit where that happened and let it go like through your body, through just working with the nervous system, like let that stuff discharge. It's so important. Cause I think we say, let it go a lot, but it's like, well, what, what, like, how do we do that? Um, so it's yeah. good to have some guidelines for what yeah. that is. <laughs> and it's also good for, you know, if, as I'm talking about this or, you know, you've got a client talking about it, you can go, okay, stop. Yep. Do you see what you're doing? Okay, let's just like shimmy that one out and, you know, shake it out, do whatever, or, you know, just break the pattern. Is that what you'd say? Sorry, I'm just putting words in you. It's because I want to shimmy it out. (laughs) Yeah, well, you definitely can. And usually I don't direct, because I want the system to do, I want to track the system. And so usually I don't tell people to to like shake or or move in in that thing. Like if we're tracking a pattern like that, but I will ask them to observe what's happening. And then we sort of like track and follow it and see what happens within the system versus me trying to interrupt a system of like a system wide pattern. If it's in the middle, cause we, I want it to sort of go through what it needs to like to go through to completion. And then that loop gets done and it's out of the body. I don't know if that makes sense in this realm, but it's more about like tracking and seeing what's there versus trying to override it. Yep. I understand. In in, in a case like that, if we're talking about, um, I want to do like a pattern interruption, that's a little bit different. Uh, like less, like we just talked about with, if we're sitting so, you know, still for so long, then let's get up and move. Um, but if I'm working with someone around an accident or something like that, I would try to just more watch what's happening and, and kind of guide them to track that. So it's a little bit different. Well, we are so far over time. I know. I was like, we've been chatting for a while. Thank you, Karen. Nice it to was see you again. An absolute pleasure. Alice, what do you Bye. say? Have a good one. Bye. You too. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you visit our website, middleagedwomenstuff.com, where you can subscribe to the show in any of the players or via RSS so you'll never miss a thing. If you liked this show, you might want to check out the webpage, which gives you lots more information about both our host and our guest, along with heaps of other resources. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday and Friday for the next episode. And that's all for this episode. We can't wait to see you next time.